the, the example of Jesus. Well, today from the reading, you guys know we're going to look at the example of Paul. So do you understand your purpose yet? Taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 22. I want to begin by looking at some quotes uh, from some individuals that you know that you've heard about. The first one says, there is no greater gift you can give or receive than to honor your calling. It's why you were born and how you become most truly alive. You guys know who said that? Uh, the lady you guys like to watch on TV, Oprah Winfrey. And some of you read a magazine, old magazine. But, but she's right. There's no greater gift than to understand your calling because it brings so much meaning to what you're doing. Because in my area of calling or my area of giftedness, I can bless people. If I'm functioning in an area that's not my gift, it's not my calling, I'm likely to be cursing people. Okay, you don't get it. Let me get So all of us have been a part of worship services where you had a good brother leading singing. He's a good brother leading singing. He's not a song leader. He's a good brother. He's doing the best he can, but he's not a song leader. You can tell the difference. Okay, you've been in a Bible class uh, with a brother who's leading the Bible class. He's leading the Bible class, but he's not a good teacher. But he's still leading the class. And you can tell the difference. You, we, we're thankful for people for their service. But there are some people, they take that thing up a whole nother level to where if you've been around them, it's hard for you to settle. It's hard for you to settle for some of that other stuff. And I say that each of us has been given something to help us so that we can perfect what God has put in us. And once you're where God wants you to be, you can't help but bless the rest of us. But you got to be where God wants you to be. The two most important days in life are the day you were born and the day you find out why you were born. Mark Twain said that. The day you were born, you have nothing to do with that. You have nothing to do with that. But you do have something to do with finding out what your giftedness is. We are good at sending our children off to public school and sending them off to college. And at an early age, we start talking, about what do you want to be? And some of us are so committed to that that we make them be stuff that they don't want, but we want to be it. Okay, but what about finding out based on observing them, seeing what they're good at, what God has put in them. Because too many of us want to live our lives vicariously through our children. And I would say that too many times at the local congregation, leaders try to do the same thing by pigeonholing people and saying, we need volunteers over here, so we're going to put everybody over there, whether that's your giftedness or not. That's why that ministry fails. Because you put all those folk over there, and none of them feel no sense of compassion about that, a passion about that. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Pablo Picasso, you art fans. Find your gift and serve. And see if you won't bless people. See if people won't come up to you saying, thank you for whatever it is you did. You're just doing what you do because that's what's in you. That's the good thing about it. When, when you're working in your area of giftedness, it just comes natural. Right. You just blink your eyes. You don't even think I've done anything special. But the recipient of that is encouraged, they're built up, they're edified. 
So in this series, we're going to look at men and women in Scripture and see what God has to say about them and then see how they lived out their life. Because if God says, this is why I've called you, guess what? That's your mission. If God says, this is why I call you, that's your purpose, and that's where you need to serve. So in our text this morning in chapter 9, it's a very familiar passage about uh, Paul on the Damascus Road, and, and, and well, Saul on the Damascus Road, and God has an intervention. God intervenes. Uh, God uh, blinds him, uh, and God gets Saul's attention. God gets his attention because God knows I have a special work for this man to do. He doesn't know it yet. The people traveling with him doesn't know it yet. The people who gave him uh, officials' papers to go to Damascus, they don't even know that yet. But God knows it. And so as our text opens up in verse number 10, God is not only dealing with Saul, but God is also dealing with Ananias. And so Ananias is a disciple, is a teacher that God is preparing to go and talk to Saul. You need to know uh, Ananias is like many of us. He doesn't want to do it. Now, let's be real. Some of you, if we actually go study with this person, go teach a Bible class with this person, you say, I don't want to do it. You won't look at the fact that this is what our mission is, Matthew chapter 28. Our mission, our job, one of our responsibilities is to go out and teach the gospel to everybody. And so God has a way every now and then of sending folk our way to see if we're going to carry out that mission. Because all of us are evangelists at the core. And you and I ought to know how to talk to somebody about Jesus. You and I ought to know how to talk to them about his church. You're a member of his church. You've been a Christian for decades. Simply share what you know your experience is. Stop trying to be a Ph.D. in Bible and feel like you got to answer every Bible question. Most people who want to know about Jesus have very simple, basic questions. And they're just looking for somebody to simply share the basics of the gospel with them. But Ananias has a dilemma because he knows Saul's reputation. He has a dilemma. And so as God is working on Ananias' heart to get him prepared to do what he wants, God already knows what he's doing with Saul. Ananias does not. All Ananias knows is this is Saul of Tarsus. He is a bad man. You guys watch Sports Sentinel, ES, uh, what's first take? And Stephen A. Smith is prone to talk about Aaron Rodgers. That's a bad man. <laughs> well, long before Aaron Rodgers came along, there was a guy named Saul who was a bad man. And, thank you, ma'am. And, and so Saul, Saul, is, Saul is waiting for someone to come and talk to him. God is preparing him. The text will say God, uh, that Saul is praying. So God is dealing with Saul. He's also dealing with uh, Ananias. And in chapter 22, verse number 12, we begin to learn a little bit more insight on Ananias. He was a faithful disciple of the church at Damascus. Uh, he, and so part of the, the dilemma that Ananias has is that he and the other Christians at the Damascus church 
know that Saul is on his way to their house. He knows that Saul is on his way to where they gather for worship. And in his mind saying, Lord, do you know what you're asking me to do? Do you know this man? And of course, God knows who he is. And God knows that he's working with Saul, just like he's trying to work with Ananias to get him mentally prepared to simply go and share the good news or the message to Saul. Guess what? God is working with some of us right now to get us mentally prepared to go and share the good news, the gospel with folk that we run across, encounter every day. And we need to stop fighting God. Submit to his will and go out and simply do what he's asked us to do because you'll be blessed. Now, make the, the note here that this Ananias is not the same Ananias as in Acts chapter 5. You know that Ananias is already dead. He and his wife, Sapphira, plotted against the Holy Spirit to lie about their giving. And God killed both of them. So, so, so it can't be him. There's been no resurrection here. This is another Ananias. So in verses 13 through 14, Ananias is tested. His faith is tested. His confidence is tested. Because God is asking him to do something that he doesn't want to do. As you have read scripture, as you have prayed, have there been times where you knew God wanted you to do something that you just did not want to do? And have there been some Sundays you woke up not feeling like coming to worship service, but you knew that's what you needed to do? Amen. Now, I'm going to ask a question. I don't want you to answer what went, what went out. Did you go ahead and do what you were supposed to do or you stay in the bed? You don't have the answer. Shame on the devil. Don't tell off on yourself. <laughs> now that the weather's warming up, that's why we had so many people at 8 o'clock service this morning. Weather's warming up. Time has changed and all that stuff. But that's a whole nother lesson. As Ananias is being prepared and whatnot, he does not know that God is working on Saul's heart to change him to convert him. That's why it's important simply listen to what God is directing us to do. Don't worry about the stuff you have no control over because just as God is working with you and your situation, you need to recognize he's working with other folk in their situation. And so we simply trust him, follow the leadership, or follow his direction. So as I said, Ananias was a leader in the church at Damascus. They knew uh, Saul was coming. Ananias knew. The folk of the church knew he was coming. And Ananias thinks, my life is in jeopardy. Because Paul, Saul was known, known for dragging people out, yeah. imprisoning them, being a part of people being killed. How would you have felt if you were in Ananias' situation and you had to go talk to somebody on the FBI's most wanted list? When I was little, they used to post it in the post office. These are the most wanted people. Do they still do that in the post office? I don't know. 
But you go in the post office, you see these, these pictures in their names, and they'll tell you where they were last seen, and, and how many years, and all that, that they've been doing whatever they're doing. Stuff that make you scared, if you didn't understand, it's just a picture on the wall. <laughs> and so again, God is preparing Ananias, but he's also preparing Saul. Because both men have to be prepared in order for God's will to be done. Because God needs to get a message to Saul. But the messenger needs to be prepared so he'll go and deliver the message. Because if Ananias never went to where Paul, Saul was, none of this would ever happen. So when we get to verse number 15, Saul's purpose is revealed. Now we know why God has allowed this circumstance to occur. Now we understand where God has to get Saul's attention. Because we learn in verse number 15, well, let me just read it. Verse number 15 of chapter 9. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to hear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So here we learn why this experience on the Damascus road occurred. Because God has a special work that only Saul can do. And God has to get his attention. Because sometimes we, we are just rebellious. And God has to allow some stuff to happen to us. Like, folk got to get sick before they'll start listening to what God has to say. Folk got to get fired from a job. Amen. Marriage got to break up. Amen. Children got to go to jail. And the list goes on and on because we are stubborn and we don't want to listen to God. He just said, okay. Something will happen to get your attention. Now, I just think it's easy just to listen to God on the front end. Okay. When, when, uh, those of you who grew up in, in families where there were multiple children, when the older ones got a whipping, didn't you learn enough to straighten up so that you don't have to suffer the same fate that they did? Or do we have some folk who just stubborn, who just, they're going to try mom and dad to see if they're going to do the same thing to them that they did to their older brothers and sisters? Some of you learned that if the older ones got in trouble because they weren't obedient, you learn to follow what your parents said so that you wouldn't suffer the same fate. But I know some of you, you're like the prodigal son. You just got to do what you want to do. And your parents had to tighten you up. That's slang for they had to put the belt on you. So, so, so God says, God says, Saul is a chosen vessel. I have selected him for mission. I have selected him for something only he can do. And I need for us to understand when we're operating in our area of giftedness, our area of mission, that's a work that only you can do. Other folk can do stuff similar, but they can't do what you can do. Go with me and look at a, a few passages. The first one is in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1. Galatians 1, 1. Turn to Galatians 1, 1. Paul an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Colossians 1.23. 
if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Then 1 Timothy 2.7. 1 Timothy 2.7. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I am speaking the truth of Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So Paul understood later on. Because, because you don't understand this in the moment. In the moment, you begin to recognize something is happening, something I have no control over, something I don't understand. But when Paul writes those letters to the churches, he fully understands now what God has called him to do. And he can be very clear in explaining it. When you and I are operating in our area of giftedness, when we're operating in the area of our mission, we can clearly explain it, articulate it. That helps you to know what to do. And it also helps you to know what you need to leave the other folk. And we can be okay with that because if we're operating in our area of giftedness and they are doing the same, guess what? The other stuff gets done by people who've been gifted to do it. So you don't have to try and do it all. And I know many of us like to say we're the five talented person. But many of us, one talent. It's enough just to keep up with this one area. Because faithfulness when it comes to ability is based on your using those abilities as God has called you. Not being able to say I'm five talented, but you're only using two. What about the other three? So before we jump to say I got five, let's make sure of that. Because greater responsibility Greater accountability comes being multi-talented or multi-gifted. So he's a chosen vessel. Paul understands that based on what we've seen in these, in these passages. He has been called to bear my name, to bear witness, to speak on my behalf as he goes out carrying out his mission. And I list two passages, Acts chapter 13, 14, chapter 14, verse number one, where you see Paul going into various synagogues where he does that. He's going there to teach, to proclaim the message that he has been given. He's a chosen vessel to bear my name. And he says, first of all, to Gentiles, non-Jews. Paul was specifically called to talk to the other people. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul is called to speak to Gentile. Now, he still talks to Jews also, but his primary audience was to the Gentiles. Paul was uniquely qualified to do that because he was well-educated. He was extremely knowledgeable of the Old Testament scriptures. And so he had the vocabulary to go and talk to different people. All of us are not equipped, as much as we think we are, to talk to a diverse group of people. Amen. Some of us, the only people you can really connect with is folk who look like you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Know your gifts. Others, I have the, the ability, the vocabulary, the, the ability to connect with other folk. That's a blessing, because everybody cannot do that. Whatever our calling is, let's act in it. He says to not only Gentiles, 
but also the kings. In Acts chapter 25, uh, Paul has the privilege of speaking to Agrippa. And you guys remember that famous passage, almost thou persuaded me to be a Christian? And so as Paul is talking to Agrippa and, and they're, they're discussing, because Agrippa knew Paul hadn't really done anything to be brought before him. And so Paul simply proclaims the good news, even talking to the king. He's not intimidated. He has the words. He has the ability. I said at 8, at 8 o'clock service, if President Joe Biden showed up in our worship service today, I'd be doing the same lesson with him sitting out in the audience with the secret service folk there that I'm doing now. Because everybody needs to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And we would sometimes want to shy away. Oh, I, we shouldn't say that. Why? Why? Uh, they are people just like we are. And most of them are not saved based on our understanding of salvation. Doesn't matter. They're good religious people. It, that's the difference between being good and religious and being saved. Okay. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. Good man. Religious man. But he wasn't a Christian. So let's not equate goodness with salvation. We all ought to strive to be good, but we ought to want to be saved also. And so in verse number 15, Paul's purpose, Paul's mission is spelled out clearly. And when you think about what you know about Paul's life, when you talk about his missionary travels, when you think about all the New Testament books he wrote, when you think about all the New Testament churches that he established in the book of Acts, you begin to see he lived out his purpose. He did that for which God called him to do. And I need for us to understand we can do the same without calling. Our problem is we spend too much time with folk who don't care what their calling is, who don't try to find it out, who just are comfortable with showing up for church services. If you want to please God, you want to please Jesus, let's find out why we're here. And then let's walk in that purpose. Let's walk in that mission. And recognize it may take you some time to figure that out. Okay, but start trying to figure it out. One of the reasons some of us are as miserable and unhappy as we are is that we're fighting God. We want to do our thing over his thing. And instead of recognizing, until you get right with God, until you stop fighting God, nothing you touch is going to be productive. It reminds me of Whoopi Goldberg in The Color Purple. You remember when she had that knife uh, and said, until you do right by me. Okay. If you guys don't know, go back and look at The Color Purple. It's, it's a pivotal scene up in there. And you and I need to until you and I do right by God, we're going to still be kicking against the pricks. Still wondering why it is I can't be happy. Why it is nothing I touch is prospering. Well, you're not falling in line with the will of God. That's why all your relationships fall apart. 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 That's why you can't pick anybody any different than the person you picked the last time. It, it, it worked in there at some point. So, so, so Paul's purpose is revealed, but also... Jesus says, look at this, verse number 15, verse number 16, 
For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In the verses 23. Bible says this, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons more frequently in deaths often from the Jews. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one, 40 minus one, 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. So Paul had a mission that was divinely directed by God, but God says as he goes on his mission, there's some suffering that's going to come with it. There's some inconveniences. There's some trouble that's going to come with it because too many times we assume when we become a Christian, everything is going to be hunky-dory, that we will have no more problems. It's just smooth sailing. I got news for you. It's not that way. But you and I have the assurance that God is with us through those struggles and those sufferings. We're not left alone because just as he gifted you to do this, he gives you the ability to deal with what comes along. And too many times we will not walk into our purpose or our mission because we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to suffer. We want everything easy. Well, you'll never mature to the level God wants you to be. Trouble helps shape us and make us into the mature Christian God wants us to be. Trouble helps you to have some sense so you can now counsel people younger than you are that are on their way to go through what you've gone through. You cannot get out of this unless you die. And I need for us to understand, if you're doing it for the service of God, you're not alone. God's with you. But guess what? God's people are with you also. That's why he gives us brothers and sisters to cheer us up, to offer a word of encouragement, to send you a card or an encouraging text every now and then. You're not alone. People understand people who are gifted and who are serving the Lord. They pray for us because they know the road you're on is not easy. You know, many brothers want to be church leaders and they look at Sunday and Wednesday. They don't look at what goes on all week long behind the scenes. They don't look at the fact that you, you are many times called away from your family. Sometimes just when you get ready to sit down and eat, you get a phone call or a text message from folk. Late at night, folk are calling you when somebody's in the hospital. And guess what? They expect you to get up out of your easy chair or get out of your bed and come to the hospital. Oh, that was pre-COVID. 
Folk have counseling needs, they want to meet with you. Folk want to get married, they call you. Folk want to schedule a funeral, they call you. And it's interesting, funerals don't respect your time. As a preacher, you got Sunday stuff to do, but the funeral sometimes is that Friday or Saturday. Okay, you guys don't get that. If you got to deliver two or three sermons on Sunday, you really want to rest on Friday for Sunday. But you guys want to schedule your funerals on Fridays and Saturdays. Okay, you, you, you don't get it. Don't, don't get it. Okay. The leaders in here get it. And so, so the point is, as, 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 as Paul Saul is going to have these opportunities to share the gospel, the good news, there's also another side to that. And too many times we don't focus on that other side. We just focus on being out front and everybody patting you on the back and all the compliments you get. It did a good job, this and all that little kind of stuff. But they don't understand the sleepless nights. Yeah. They don't understand the preparation that goes on. Yeah. They don't understand the financial sacrifices that you make. Right. They don't understand the stress that that puts on you. Because church folk bring their problems to leaders and they leave them there. And so the leader is concerned about it and you're going on doing something else. And so it's not an easy job, but if that's what you've been called to do, God equips you to do it. And that's why people can be amazed that a person's able to do all this. You need to recognize that's God empowering the person. They're not doing that on their own. They couldn't. They were stroked out by now. So God works with the gifted to do what they need to do. And God understands. And that's why you and I need to understand There will be people who will not understand what you're doing and why you do it and why you make the sacrifices you do. You're not doing it for them to understand. You're doing it to be faithful to God's calling on your life. And that has to sustain you when everybody else is talking about you, when everybody else wants to go out and have fun and you got to do preparation or you got to do this kind of stuff. You need to stay focused and recognize while there's a group of people that are talking about you, there's another group that's praying for you. So when we get to verses 18 through 19, Paul, Paul is commissioned. Paul is ready to go out, uh, getting ready to go out and do what God has called him to do. So after Ananias speaks to Saul, the scales fall off his eyes, and he's able to see physically because he's been blind uh, uh, all this time. He's baptized into Christ because Ananias tells him, what what you waiting on? You know what you need to do. Uh, You've been meditating. God's been working with you. It's time to get baptized now. And then after that, he gets a good meal. Now, the man hasn't been eating. He's been stressed out, worried, couldn't see, and all that kind of stuff. And so that's where his focus is. And so God allows some people to come and minister to his physical needs. Sometimes it's a blessing to get a good meal. Help me somebody up in here. You eat not all week at these restaurants. It's nice for somebody to prepare a nice home-cooked meal. Stuff you can eat. So he gets the good food. He's strengthened. He's physically strengthened for the physical things that he has to do. And then he enjoys fellowship with his brothers. When people are added to the body of Christ, when, when people come into the area of giftedness, we need to celebrate with them. We need to encourage them. Uh, we need to let them know we're with you. 
uh, I may not be able to do this, but I'm going to be praying for you. And if there's anything I can do, I want to help you in, in that endeavor. That helps people with the motivation as they're involved in some things where they won't always get support from the groups that they're working with. That's why uh, congregations should not make the job of leaders harder than it is. It's hard enough. Uh, but if you've got to fight the folk you're supposed to be serving, that makes it even harder. And that's why some leaders quit. I only got one amen over here. Okay. But Paul is sent out. But he's sent out after he's made right with God. He's baptized in the body of Christ. Now, you don't see hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized there. You don't have to see it there. He did all that. What do you think he's been doing all this time? He's been sitting at that house uh, meditating on, on his situation. He was an expert in the Old Testament scriptures, so he already knew the word. He just had to be orientated properly. There are some people who are good people, they're zealous people, but their orientation to scripture is messed up. And all somebody needs to do is just come along and give them some, some techniques, some tools to help them to see things more clearly. And the zeal that they had is magnified double. Saul was zealous in his own life. Guess what? He can't let that go. That's who he is. That's why God wanted him. So now he becomes super zealous in carrying out the will of God. You want that in a worker. Somebody who's not going to let their zeal go to the curb, but who's going to bring that same energy they've always had to the service of God. And when you see somebody like that, you can't help but say, go ahead, brother. Go ahead, sister. We're with you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to do whatever it is we can to be supportive of your efforts. Now, when we get to verses 20 and 22, you know, Paul has been strengthened. <clears throat> He's at the fellowship, uh, being around his brothers and whatnot. And so now the text says immediately. Well, immediately here just means within a few days. So it wasn't long after Paul's conversion. It wasn't long after he's added to the body of Christ. It wasn't long uh, after uh, having the encouragement of the brothers that he goes out and starts ministering. Now, this is a few days. This is not 10 years later. So he's not the Paul we know at this point. He's a beginner. He's a newbie. But he has to start somewhere. Everybody has to start applying your skills at some point. That's why you need to let guys who want to be preacher, they got to practice on us. You, you, don't, you don't want to call it practice, but that's what, exactly what it is. They got to learn how to stand up before the people and present a lesson. Okay? You got a new song leader. You got to practice on us. We got to let him get up here and lead some songs. Some of them are going to be a home run, and some of them he's going to strike out. But that's a part of the process. And we give him feedback. We give him encouragement, especially if you see giftedness there. And the list goes on and on. So within a few days, he starts ministering. And guess where he goes? He goes, in the text, the same synagogue he was coming to drag folk out and lock them up. When he was Saul, he had papers from the high priest to go there and get those Christians. He has now been converted, and so now he goes to the synagogue with a different message. 
So now he goes there preaching about the fact that Jesus is a Christ. He's a son of God, which is a very different mission than what he started out with. God can change a person right in their tracks. So he's a persecutor. Now he becomes a preacher of the gospel. And it doesn't take long. We think it has to take decades to get a person prepared for ministry or for service. No, it doesn't. It takes a proper orientation. It takes a healthy environment. And it takes somebody willing to work with them to let them start the process. And you evaluate them. You give them feedback uh, so that they can continue to grow stronger in what they're doing. So as Paul continues to do what he's doing, guess what the people at the synagogue were? These folk, surprise. Isn't this a Saul that was coming to kill us and, and drag us out and lock us up? Isn't this a bad man that we've heard about? And so they have to deal with their preconceived ideas about Saul when they now see how God has changed him. So a lot of times we, we get stuck in the past on people. You heard about this, that, that. and yeah, it may be true, but guess what? It's in the past. It's not their present. You need to deal with the person based on what's in front of you and, and begin to see God can change your heart. We, we say it all the time, but there are times we need to live up to the words that we say and trust God on this. Now, if the person is not genuine, that will be evidence. But you and I need to trust God on this. And you begin to see changes. You begin to see something different. And you can even learn something from people. Because some of us, we get, we get set in our ways. We, we have these preconceived ideas. And when we begin to see how God works in the lives of people, it reminds us of just how powerful God is. This person who, you, who was an enemy now is a friend. This person who was not a part of the body is now a brother or sister. So let me conclude by just offering these four, these four observations. <clears throat> the first one is God can use bad people. All you got to do is look in the mirror. All you got to do is look in the mirror. He is working with you. And I know you say, oh, I, w- I was never a bad person. If you were a sinner, you were a bad person. But even beyond us, think about people in Scripture. You remember Rahab? I think the Scripture said she was a harlot. You remember Ruth, uh, who was a pagan worshiper? Okay, even Abraham and Jacob, who were liars. Samson, who was a womanizer. But God used them. And so you and I need to recognize a bad act should not condemn a person forever. Because all of us got some stuff in our past, and you don't want that uh, to be the thing that people remember you by, especially when it's been 10, 15, 20 years ago. Some of us, we need, we need to just change. We need a new attitude. Stop holding stuff against folk. Where is the forgiveness that we're supposed to have. So God can use bad people. One of the things I like about prison ministry, and I used to do prison ministry when, when I was in Oklahoma and in Texas, is that you go into facilities and you see men and women who they've done some bad things. 
But some of them want to change. Some of them recognize the error of their ways. And some of them, when they get out, they actually make the change. That's encouraging. Secondly, the call to ministry is God's choice. And if you don't understand, God calls us to ministry. You don't pick the ministry for you. God calls you to that. He equips you. It's not like when you go to college, you pick your major. And some of us have to recognize you picked the wrong major when you're there because you changed it two or three times. Right. <laughs> Trying to figure out what it is I want to do. But God calls us into ministry. And many times he calls us into ministries we would not normally do on our own. But God sees something. He knows that something in you. He, he's placed something in you that will help you to be successful at whatever area he's chosen you. That's why when we read passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, where it talks about the body and how God puts all these pieces together, God puts them together. Now, let's be real. If you were the one putting them together, some of us wouldn't be in the body. But I'm thankful you're not God. And you need to be thankful also. So the call to ministry is God's choice. And what we have to do is understand that and then live out our purpose. Thirdly, Learn before you try to lead. So I appreciate in the text, uh, as Paul is converted, he stays with the disciples for a while. Guess what he's doing there? Learning. Because he was an enemy of the church. So he has to learn how church will get along. He has to learn the whole language of that before he goes out and start trying to lead it. Too many times, we get in positions of leadership and responsibility, and our chest gets poked out, and we think we know something because we got a title or position. You don't know nothing. You need to be trained first. Okay? The place where you work, they didn't just turn you loose on day number one. You probably shadowed somebody, or you probably spent some time talking to whoever your supervisors were about how the company runs. They just turn you loose on that. And for some of you, it was a few weeks or even a month before you really did anything on your own. Yeah. You know why? Because they want to make sure you're not going to tear up stuff. <laughs> they want to make sure you're going to represent the company right. 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 So learn. Try to find out as much information as possible from our example of some, before you try to leave. Too many times we don't want to listen to anybody, we don't talk to anybody who knows more than we do, who's been around more than, than we do. That's how you avoid a whole lot of mistakes. A guy who wants to be a song leader would do well to talk to somebody who's already a song leader. A guy who wants to be a preacher would do well to talk to somebody who's already a preacher. Instead of just feeling like, well, they gave me the opportunity to preach a sermon, so I'm a preacher. You not. you just a brother who was given an opportunity to preach a sermon. Right. <laughs> That's the attitude you ought to have. And says, so well, I'm a preacher now, so I'm equal to this guy who's been preaching 20 years. No, you're not. But if the humility is not there, you will think because I got the title, I'm just like him. No, you're not. And, and if you talk to the people, they'll tell you you're not. You didn't get your feelings hurt. A transformed life, finally, a transformed life yearns for fellowship. So one of the things that we see when Paul is converted is he spends some time in fellowship with the brothers. You and I are not going to get very far if we don't understand the value of interacting on an ongoing basis 
with other believers. Amen. That may not have been anything you want to do in your old life. That's fine. That's your old life. In this new life where you need help and you need support and you need encouragement, you need to be around as many Christian people as you can. So you don't limit and say, okay, I was at morning worship. I was there for an hour and a half. That's enough. You're just sitting in the building with them folk. You ain't talk to them. There's a big difference. And maybe some of us will be farther along in understanding our areas of giftedness if we spent some time valuing the time after the dismissal, not rushing out here as soon as the prayer is said. Or getting here maybe a few minutes before service or Bible class starts so you can talk to people. During Bible class is not the time for your fellowship and time. During worship time, there's not time to be passing notes and all this kind of stuff. It's about uh, being in the presence of God, worshiping him. And then we can talk to each other after service is over. Or better yet, you got a cell phone. Why don't you call me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday? Instead of trying to sandwich everything in on Sunday. You call everybody else you want to talk to. Some of you live on Facebook. I mean, I, I see a lot of your posts. I'm thinking, when did this person work? <laughs> yeah, everything that happens in the day gets posted on Facebook. And some of you, I don't even read you, so I just delete it. I mean, because it's too many, three, four, five times uh, and for one person. Some of you, every time you take a picture of yourself. Miss Movie Star, Miss Mr. Glamorizer, Arnold Schwarzenegger, bodybuilder kind of person. That's not real fellowship. That's, that's what the devil teaches you about your Facebook friends and your likes and all that kind of stuff. Real fellowship is people-oriented. And we need to get back to enjoying the company of people. See, one of the things that COVID did, it made us scared and afraid to be around each other. We need to change that now. Y'all vaccinated and you boosted. At least 90% of you are. So we ought to be able to have some good fellowship time. Shake each other's hand. Hug each other. You know, all that stuff that we used to do two years ago? You haven't forgotten it, have you? Okay. Some of you forgotten about it. But there was a time where that's how people greeted each other. And it helps you to feel connected. Now, I'm not advocating everybody got to hug and, and, and shake hands with everybody. But y'all not be afraid to talk one, to one another. And I shouldn't have to stand 10 feet from you. That, that was two years ago. That was two years ago. That was two years ago. 2020. This is 2022. We know a whole lot more about COVID today. We know a whole lot about how to prevent it today. We got plenty of hand sanitizer around here for those of you who are concerned about germs. We've also got a whole lot of love up in here. And some of us need to experience real love, not artificial love. This day, do you understand your purpose yet? I hope as we have looked at some things from Saul, who later become who later became Paul, you can begin to see how God worked with him and how he's trying to work with you. If you don't know what your purpose is, if you don't know what your area of giftedness is, now's the time to be trying to find 
the answers to those questions. Because God has work for you to do in the kingdom that only you can do. And there's a hole there while we're waiting for you to figure out where you fit in. Nobody else can do what God has gifted you to do. And people can do some things like you do, but nobody can teach like Brittany. So God has uniquely gifted her to do some stuff in a class that some of you would never do, but it works for her. That's all that matters. And it works for our students. That's all that matters. But whatever your area of giftedness is, use it to build up the kingdom. And when you build up the kingdom, you're building up your brothers and sisters. And even though you don't recognize, you're also building up yourself. And, and you're going to find you feel good about the fact that I can contribute, that I'm making a difference, and I can see it in the lives of the people that I touch. And so some of us here are better people because you here. Think about that. And if you weren't here, there'd be a hole. And we're trying to figure out why we got that hole here. That's because this brother, this sister's not here. That's why when you miss from worship service, you are missed. We don't get so large that we don't miss people who are not here. No, we, we, you're not here. We miss your smile. We miss your interaction or whatever it is you do that makes you unique. So this day, if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, you have a confession that you need to make, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that as we now stand and sing the song we